Well, go ahead and grab out your Bibles and something to take some notes with. You know we believe in taking notes here at Victory. I believe in taking notes, and so I'm going to win you over one day. All right, everybody? And so I believe in taking some notes. It's my prayer and my hope that as we study God's Word, God would bring out some things to you, reveal some truths, maybe one thing on a Sunday that you jot down, uh, something to reference on your spiritual journey. And so we try to make that as easy as possible. You like to write, grab your paper and pen. Uh, If you want to fill in the blank version, there's the Victory Harvest Church app in whatever app store uh, you prefer. You can download that, all the notes, all the verses. Everything is in there, easy as it can be for you to fill in uh, as we study God's word today. I'm just praying the Holy Spirit brings something out that will help to change your life for the better, that you'll grab onto something uh, that not only works on Sunday morning, something that works on Monday morning and all throughout the rest of the week. We're going to spend a few weeks in this series. I'm not really sure how long yet, uh, but I'm excited about this. this is something close to my heart. And here's the idea. It's called Through the Crowd. And the idea of the series is that all throughout his ministry, Jesus was surrounded by crowds of people. All you read throughout, it says the crowd followed him here and the crowd chased after him here. And the crowd found him when he didn't want to be found, wanted to be alone. And the crowd chased him. Jesus was surrounded by crowds. But what I love about Jesus is in the midst of the crowd, he always saw people. He always saw the individual. Mark or Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is our theme verse for the series. It says, when he saw the crowds... And that word saw in the Greek, it means to perceive. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love that situation. Jesus saw thousands of people. He saw the group, but he didn't just see crowds. He didn't just see an opportunity for popularity. He didn't see some way to fuel his earthly ministry. It says Jesus had compassion and he saw the people. He saw the state that they were in. That Jesus had eyes even in the midst of the crowd to see the people. He could see their condition, that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He says he was moved with compassion. Three thoughts for you that will be all throughout the series. And the first one is that Jesus sees you. First thought is, if I could just get you to understand that Jesus sees you. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you may be going through, no matter what you may have done, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And I want you to internalize it today and put it in the first person that Jesus sees me. Because I think so often we get this feeling uh, we are kind of lost in the shuffle. We, we understand we're a part of a church or we're a part of the church around the world. But we kind of feel like 7.8 billion people around the world. We're just kind of getting lost in the flow. But I want you to know that God sees you. That Jesus sees you. And not only that, the Bible tells us he knows you. That God knows me. He sees me and he knows me. He knows all of your fears. He knows all of your shortcomings. Come on, anything you try to hide from him is not hidden. He knows your sins. He knows the things you struggle with. He knows your accomplishment. He knows everything. Jesus sees you and he knows you. And I want you to get this internalized, that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He cares for you. And I hope you know today, God's not looking to get even with you. He's not looking to even the score with you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He wants to rescue you. He wants to help you. He sees your failures and your flaws And Jesus still died for you anyway. And so too often we try to hide that from him, thinking there's no way God could accept me because all these people have rejected me. I want you to know he sees you, he knows you, he cares about you. He has compassion on you. I'm praying at some point throughout this series that that would come home for you. It might just be words right now up on a screen. You might be thinking that's great, Pastor, for somebody else. But if we internalize that, at some point in this series... As we just talk through a few of the interactions Jesus had with the people that he saw, I hope you internalize that, that he cares for you. 
that he loves you. He has compassion on you. And really, this series is dedicated for those of us that find ourselves, like these people we're going to study, in a position where we cannot rescue ourselves. In a place where we cannot get ourselves out of it. I don't know where you may be stuck. I don't know what trial you may be walking through. I don't, under, I don't know. Some of you have shared those things with us and we try our best to counsel as a church. But I don't know where you may be stuck. I don't know what thing you may be praying for. What thing you may be walking through. But I want you to know that Jesus cares for you. And this message series is dedicated for those who can't help themselves. Those who need a miraculous touch. Because we all need a touch from heaven. We all need God to touch our lives. We all have places that we cannot do it on our own. We have a need for a Savior. And the first step to getting that right is admitting that we cannot do it. It's coming to the place where we let our ego go to the wayside and we say, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do it on my own. So if you want to grab out your Bibles, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. We're going to study an individual Jesus interacted with in the city of Jericho. And so I'm going to read this story and then we'll pull some truth out of it. But I want to read kind of the entire thing so you know the context of who Jesus is interacting with. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, come on somebody, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside and he was begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And watch the crowd. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted. I like Bartimaeus. All right, everybody. I don't know if you like him already, but he's one of my favorites. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so the people rebuked him. He started to shout. And Jesus stopped, verse 49, and said, call him. And so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. This is a beautiful story about a guy named Bartimaeus who finds himself in the condition that we talked about just a few moments ago. He finds himself in a position that he cannot do for himself what he needs to be done. He cannot get out of this position unless a miracle happens, unless God touches his life. And he finds himself in this moment, in this condition where many of us find ourselves, maybe not in the physical. We find ourselves in conditions that we're unable to extricate ourselves from. We're unable to do for ourselves. We're unable to help ourselves. We find ourselves and we need a divine intervention. It's a situation, Bartimaeus. In fact, we go to the top of the story in verse 46. It says they're passing through Jericho. As they come to, the gathering crowd are leaving the city. Now, Jericho is where Jesus would pass through. We probably read it in your Bible more than anywhere else because it was the last stop on the ascent up to Jerusalem. And so the city of Jericho, is the elevation change was so great, but they would go to Jericho and then it says they would go up to Jerusalem. They would head up to the city. And so as Jesus would do his ministry in the region of Galilee, where he did most of his earthly ministry, this would be the last stop every time he turned back to Jerusalem. And so Jericho was this beautiful city. It was called the City of the Palms or the City of Roses. It was this oasis city, beautiful. In fact, King Herod had his palace, his summer retreat there. So if you're a king and you're picking a place, you pick the most beautiful. And so he would have his retreat in Jericho. And so in this, in this city, the City of the Palms, this beautiful city, a lot of the wealthiest people in that region would move to Jericho. The king and then a lot of the more wealthy ones, which incidentally is why Bartimaeus is also in Jericho. 
Because in these days, the wealthiest of that community would take care of the poorest of that community. There were no government safety nets. There was nothing back then uh, along those ways for those who were down and out like Bartimaeus. And so there would be a huge population of the homeless and the beggars outside on the outskirts of Jericho. Because that's where all of the rich people were. And so that's where Bartimaeus finds himself begging on the outskirts. And so as Jesus is passing through that day with this large crowd that surrounded his ministry all of the time, always a crowd around him, he has this unique interaction with Bartimaeus who is in a position that many find ourselves in. He's desperately in need of a supernatural touch. If he's going to escape the life cycle, if he's going to get out of where he is, he has to have a divine touch from God. And again, I don't know where it is for you. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your kids. It might be in your career. It might be in your family. I, I don't know where you find yourself stuck that you're praying for God to move. But if you find yourself in there, I want to learn some truths from Bartimaeus today. When we find ourselves where nothing else can help us but a miracle. Where nothing else can help us but a touch from heaven. Where you've tried everything else and you've come up empty. And all you can do is hope for a touch from God. So verse 47, we find Bartimaeus... Some very specific things that he does. And it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. First thing you're going to have to do, if you're asking for a touch from heaven, you're believing God for a miracle, you're realizing there's no other way this can happen. First thing you're going to have to do, we learned from Bartimaeus, you're going to have to see Jesus. You're going to have to see Jesus. And you say, well, pastor, that sounds a little counterintuitive. You started with a blind guy. Like, there's no way he could see Jesus. And so I hear you saying, aha, out there, all right, everybody. But what I want you to understand from this story, when we notice something very specific about Bartimaeus, back to our verse 47, it says, when he heard from the crowd that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. Now, in those days, I want you to see something, because the Bible doesn't have little subtleties like this for no reason. It doesn't just throw details in there for no reason. You know, they just felt like doing it. There's always a reason for why the Bible puts in different things that it does in verses. So the way you would refer to people in that culture would refer their name and then to where they were from. And so it says that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. It's where he was associated with him. So they would call him the Nazarene. They would say Jesus of Nazareth, the Nazarene, which is how they referred him to Bartimaeus. That Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. This is his identity to Bartimaeus. But what he says, watch what he shouts out, is not Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a whole different connotation when he's talking about Jesus in terms of his lineage. He's not talking Jesus where you're from. He's not talking Jesus the Nazarene. He's talking Jesus, son of David, in his lineage, who he's from. Now, obviously, he's not David's son. He's Joseph's son. But what Bartimaeus is referring to, David was the final king that they said the lineage, the Messiah, would come from David. They said that King David, from him, from his house, from the house of David, would rise the Messiah. And what he's saying is, you're not just a guy that I'm kind of undecided on. You're not just some guy doing some cool tricks that I'm not really sure if you can help me or not. What he's saying is, Jesus, I know that you're the Messiah. He's not saying Jesus, Joseph's son, because remember, his name's Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He's not saying Jesus, the Nazarene. He's saying Jesus, son of David. Jesus, I've decided, I believe who you are. I understand who you are. You can jot it down this way if you're taking notes. Bartimaeus knew Jesus before he could see Jesus. He knew the Messiah was coming down that road that day. He knew Jesus before he could even see him with his physical eyes. He decided, I believe who he is. I understand and I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. In fact, you might say he was physically blind, but he was spiritually aware. He was physically blind, but he was spiritually aware about who was passing by him that day. 
And I think sometimes when we enter our worship service or sometimes when we have our own devotion, sometimes when we interact and we pray with God, we are spiritually blind but physically aware. Bartimaeus that day, he knew who he was interacting with. He knew the God that was passing by. He knew that Jesus was on that road. He knew that in his mind. He was spiritually aware. And I pray that God would gift us in that same way. I pray that God would gift us in that same way, that in our lives we would be spiritually aware of what God is doing. Be spiritually aware of the move that he's doing. Because the people around him, I would love the fact that even the people around him, more so the people who weren't afflicted, People who could see very clearly what Jesus was doing. People could see Jesus' works with their own eyes. They may have been doubting. They may not have known. They may have said Jesus of the Nazarene, but not Bartimaeus. Not Bartimaeus. Even though he was physically blind, he was spiritually aware. He says, I believe you're the son of David. I believe you're the Messiah. I just want you to know it's important we have spiritual perception. You have to see Jesus. Back to our story, verse 48. Many people watched the crowd. They rebuked him. And they told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. If you're going to seize the moment, if you're going to seize what God is doing in your life, you want a miracle from Jesus, you're not only going to have to be spiritually perceptive, not only going to have to have spiritual perception, but then oftentimes you're going to have to silence the crowd. Oftentimes in our life, you're going to have to silence the crowd. And this is something I think sometimes we get, we get mixed up in the church. Because so often the crowd will try to, try to silence the passion that's on the inside of you. The crowd will try to silence and you have to be careful. And I will say this for the rest of my life. Every Sunday, I'll tell you, you have to have people around. You cannot do life alone. You have to get into small groups. It's something we believe in as a church. But on the flip side of that, you have to be so careful that the people you choose to put around you are speaking to your passion that God has placed inside of you. That you're so careful the people that you allow into your life, the people you allow to speak influence into your life actually care about your life. That they're not just trying to unload all of their garbage onto you. Because that can happen when you surround yourselves with the crowd. When you surround yourself with people that don't actually care what God is doing and moving. They don't actually see the promises God has on your life. They could care less that God's plan comes to fruition for you. They just need you as a step stool to where they want to go. And so oftentimes when you're trying to serve God, you have to silence the crowd. Bartimaeus had to that day. They rebuked him saying, quiet. Because then I tell you, crowds love average Crowds love for average. They love for the status quo to be kept. Crowds love things being the way that they are. And crowds despise passion. They despise anything above what they're doing. Anything that might look a little better than what they might be doing. Anything that might propel you further than they go. And so sometimes you have to silence the crowd. So here's this guy. He's crying out to Jesus. He needs a miracle. He's crying out to him and the crowd is rebuking him. The rest of the crowd is uncomfortable with the way that he's talking. And oftentimes in your life, people will talk like this to you. And say, well, I just don't like how exuberant you are in worship. I just don't feel like you're just, you're just a little too loud in the way that you're singing. I don't like how extravagant you are in giving to people who are in need. I think you ought to keep some of that because I want to hang out with you some more. And, you know, you need to cover some meals that we're going to have to. I don't like how extravagant you are in giving. I think that's, I don't like how much you share your faith. It just makes me a little uncomfortable when we're out together and you try to witness to somebody. I don't, I don't, I don't, it just doesn't make, the crowd loves the status quo. The crowd will try to rebuke the passion that God has placed on the inside of you. So oftentimes, if you're going to see a miracle, you're going to see God do what you're asking him to do. You're going to have to silence the crowd around you. You have to silence the crowd. And honestly, you have to settle this in your heart. Honestly, sometimes pleasing God means disappointing people. If we're going to please God, we're going to disappoint a lot of people. And you have to settle that as a Christian. If you're going to pursue God with all that you have, because if you pursue the crowd, I promise you, they will kill the passion that's inside your heart. 
will kill the passion that God has placed inside of you. And when you give up your passion, you're no longer pursuing Jesus. Back to our story, John chapter 12. I want to show this. This is part of what Jesus is experiencing in the crowd around and part of those rebuking. Watch this. Many of the Jewish leaders, many of the leaders at this same time believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. Why? For fear they'd be put out of the synagogue. And watch this at the next verse. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Can I tell you one thing Bartimaeus didn't care about? That was human praise. Because he knew Jesus was passing by that day. He knew Jesus, the Messiah, was in front of him that day. And so he didn't care that the crowd rebuked him. He didn't care that they tried to shout him down. He didn't care about any of that. He wanted his miracle and he was crying out to God for it. And so often you're going to have to silence the crowd or you have to cry louder and louder. And I love Bartimaeus' response. In verse 43, he said, in that response, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to shout even louder. I mean, you don't like how rowdy I am? I'm going to get rowdier. You don't like how exuberant I am? I'm going to be even louder than you were before because I know who I'm seeking. I know who I'm crying out for. We have to be very careful in life. It said they loved human praise more than the praise of God. And so often we look for affirmation from the crowd. Do you like me? Do you, do you like the way that I dress? Do you like the way that I act? Do you like the music that I listen to? Do you like the movies that I watch? Do you like my kids? Do you like the way that we are as a family? Do you, do you approve of me? And oftentimes you'll see this at the root of so often our problems we have. And I'm not against social media. I'm just saying it exposes some things sometimes. Where we'll put everything in our life on display and we try to make it as good looking as we can because we want the crowd to approve. I have nothing against sharing things and being connected and being able to see people that you might not have ever seen. I have nothing against any of that. I think it's a beautiful tool that connects people. But so oftentimes we try to change everything in order to just provide acceptance. We try to pretty things up because we need that affirmation from the crowd. And that's a dangerous place to be. That we seek after the human affirmation instead of the affirmation that comes from God. If you're going to please God, you have to understand you're going to upset people. You're going to disappoint people. And there's a miracle waiting on the other side of our passionate pursuit of God. It's trust in the Lord. Proverbs says it this way. It says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. You know, it's a snare to you. That fear that man might not approve, that they might not like me. They might not. It's a snare in your spiritual walk. Bartimaeus didn't have that snare. Bartimaeus didn't care what they thought about him. He knew Jesus was passing by. Trust in the Lord. If you'll obsess what God thinks about you, it's the quickest way to forget about what people think. If you'll turn that into each day, making that decision, I'm going to obsess in every situation, in every decision, what God thinks about me. It's the quickest way to forget about the crowd. Quickest way to push them out of your mind. You're still living among them. Bartimaeus is still shouting through the midst of them. But if you obsess about what God thinks, you do everything that you can to reach him. Because Bartimaeus could not care less that day what the crowd thought. He said, I'm going to get louder. I don't care what you think. I'm going to get louder than I could possibly do. So my question for you today is, who is silencing the prayer that's inside of you? Are the people around you silencing the prayer that's inside of you? Who, who in your situation, who in your community, who in maybe your family, who in maybe your friend group, who have you let close to you that's silencing the passion God has placed on the inside of you? Have to silence the crowd. It could be well-meaning Christians. Come on, somebody. It could be well-meaning Christians in the crowd who are trying to maintain the status quo, trying to even maybe thinking they're doing God a favor. People always get it wrong when they try to anticipate, well, this is what Jesus wants. 
And so oftentimes we get it wrong, but I want to remind you that followers of Christ are typically the first ones to condemn the next move of God. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good today, all right, everybody? Don't. Come on, I just, I expected a lot of hallelujahs at that point. I really know. Followers of Christ oftentimes are the first. Because I want to remind you today that this is, this is not a group of unchurched people around Bartimaeus that day. These are the crowds following Jesus. This is a bunch of church folk that are rebuking him and telling him to be silent. Come on, it's going to be good in this church today, all right? They say, there's a bunch of churches. I want to remind you, when God does something new, we cannot be the ones who are shouting it down. When God's getting ready to do a miracle, far be it from us, church, to be the ones rebuking those who are seeking that miracle, getting between that person and Jesus. I think too often times, especially in this culture, we talk about secular culture all the time. We try to beat that down. I want to talk about church culture. In the church culture we live in today, there are entire industries built around the idea of tearing down other Christians. Because as soon as God gets ready to do something different than what we expect him to do, as soon as he does something different than we may be comfortable with, Christians are the first ones to try to shout that. Well, they're not, they're not sharing the gospel the way that I think it should be shared. They're watering that. They're just not doing things right. That coffee can't be all that spiritual over there. They're, not doing, they're just going straight to hell. They're using video technology. The first thing that when God starts to do anything different, Christians are the first ones to step up and try to tear it down. should not be, church. If we would tear ourselves down from the inside. And we would try to hinder somebody from preaching the gospel about Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. We may be on the verge of a revival, but we need to be, when God does something we've never seen before. Can I remind you, the disciples were in the boat when Jesus came walking on the water. And they were the first ones to point out, well, it's a ghost. That's just got to be it. Because they had never seen him walk on water before. They'd never seen him do that before, so they decided it's a ghost. It couldn't possibly be Jesus. Can I, can I tell you, church, we're going to have to do things that we've never done before to reach people who have never been reached before. Because there is a heaven to gain and a hell to pay. There are people on the other side of our obedience, and we cannot be caught up in these. It's just my soapbox to get on. We cannot be caught up in these small, petty differences that we would attack the church of Christ. That we would attack others. Far be it from much church that we tear down the next move of God. It needs to be where we're looking. If God does something we've never seen before, we celebrate that. We say, how can I be in whatever it is that God is doing? Because there is a gospel to spread around this world. It has to be in our heart that we're going to spread this gospel. We're going to be. And so Bartimaeus says, I'm going to get even more obnoxious. We're going to shout even louder than we were before. We're going to shout even louder. You can't rebuke what God is doing. I'm going to get my miracle. I'm going after him with everything I've got. We're going to shout out even louder than I can, push the envelope even further. And so check this out, verse 49. And Jesus says, hey, call him. Go get that guy. He's shouting out louder. The crowd can't quiet him. Go get that guy. Bring him to him and check it out. Now check out the crowd that was just rebuke him. Watch what they say to Bartimaeus, all right? They call to the blind man, hey, cheer up on your feet. Come on, hey, we did it. <laughs> we got Jesus' attention. Same crowd that was rebuking him. Is all excited. Hey, we're going to see a miracle today. Come on, you just, it, come on. We're all, isn't it funny how people flip-flop like this, right? You ever experienced that in your own life? How people, when you finally start to grow, they're like, it must have been God. It must have been, I'm just, I'm so, I told him to do that. I told him to go and just, I told her to go there. I, I was, I was, I'm so glad that I approved all of that. I'm just so glad. I just praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God must have been in it. So don't worry about what people say because they'll turn around. They'll come around eventually anyways. All right, everybody. Cheer up, get on your feet. He's calling you. Verse 50. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. 
Number three, if you're going to see a miracle in your life, you're going to have to take a step of faith. You have to see Jesus. We're going to have that in our lives. We're going to have to silence the crowd. But then if you're going to see a miracle, you're going to step out on what God has called you to do. You're going to have to take a step of faith. You're going to have that in your life. And we talk about faith all the time because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I think we should talk about that pretty often. But we talk about faith in our lives because faith is taking a step when you don't know what's on the other side of it. Faith is stepping out to do what God has called you to do, not knowing what the end result is going to be, but saying, I have faith. I believe that God is calling me. Jesus is saying, call him, bring him to me. And so Bartimaeus steps out. It may seem trivial to you, but he took a big step of faith. The Bible says that he threw his cloak aside. And now the cloak would have been something very important to Bartimaeus. It was something part of his identity. And so this morning, I brought a cloak for all of you to see. And if you can't see it, this is a pink butterfly. This is very authentic, everybody, by the way. And this is something. Actually, I saved on our sermon prop budget. You'll be happy to know because I stole this from my three-year-old daughter. Come on, somebody. And so if you see a very angry toddler coming up here in the next few minutes, you'll understand exactly. Because she didn't want me to bring it, and I stole it this morning early. So we're just going to be spiritual in the house of the Lord today. But this is my cloak, my very authentic Middle Eastern cloak. And the cloak that they would have worn back then as Bartimaeus had served a few functions for him. First of all, it was Bartimaeus' way of saying to the community, the special cloak that he wore, that number one, I'm blind and that I'm in need. This was his identity. This was his way of identifying to the community, especially the rich community in Jericho, that I'm blind and I'm in need. And then, not only that, but as temperatures would heat up, he would wear it in the winter month, but as temperatures would heat up in the Middle Eastern climate, Bartimaeus, the blind, the blind beggars and those who would be on the road, they would fold up the cloak, And they would lay it next to them and they would kneel down beside it as a way of saying, I'm in need. And others who pass by would throw money onto the cloak. Others who pass by. So this was not only his identity, this was his source of sustenance. This was his source of staying alive. This was his income. This was his way. And so Bartimaeus' cloak was so important to him. Everything in his life that when Jesus called, he threw it to the side. This was everything to him that when Jesus called, he threw it. It's interesting to notice because a little few verses further back up in our text, you find a very rich man who misses out on Jesus entirely because he can't let go of his many possessions. That Jesus asked him to let go of. And his claws are so deep in his possessions. It says he goes away full of sorrow. Because of those possessions, he couldn't let go of them. And yet you find Bartimaeus, who incidentally is blind... Physically blind, and when Jesus calls, he throws away his cloak. Throws away everything that he has his hands on. Throws away everything that provides his way of living. Throws away everything that's his identity. He says, I don't care about it anymore. The master is calling. Jesus is calling. And he throws away his cloak. Because he's in a crowded street. Listen to me, everybody. There are beggars everywhere in Jericho. They are happy to relieve him of his cloak. He's not going to find his cloak again. Can I remind you, he is blind. If Jesus doesn't come through for him, there's no way he's finding this jacket on the street. The crowd doesn't like him. Nobody's going to help him out. There's no way he's getting back to this. He doesn't care. He throws it aside. He's got to take a step of faith. So I ask you today, what is your pink butterfly blanket? What is that thing that you're holding on to? What is that thing that you've got that you can't let go even if Jesus is calling? What is that thing that when the master calls, you need to throw to the side? What's that step of faith? And it may be different for every person. It may be your income. It may be your career. It may be a title. It may be a relationship. It may be something that you place your trust in. It may be a reputation. It may be something. 
I don't know what it is. Maybe something, something that we keep in the back that if Jesus doesn't come through, well, then I'll still be all right. If I take that step of faith that God is calling me to do, I've still got the backup plan. I've still got this thing that I've created, this thing that I've done, this thing. And it may not even be something like that. It may be a hurt or a pain or something that you've held on to from your life. Maybe something that you haven't been able to let go, a label that you carry, the way that you interact with the world because of something that happened to you. Maybe the thing that you hold on to that you're not able to give up, that when the master calls, he's saying, throw that to the side. Throw it to the side, get rid of that thing. And too often times for us, our identity is wrapped up in a cloak. Our identity is wrapped up in something that we cannot let go. Can I encourage you, church? It's not worth it. When the master calls, when Jesus calls, it's not worth it to hold on to that thing. It's not worth it to hold on to that safety net. It's not worth it to hold on to that thing because it's all going to burn anyway. The Bible says at the end, all of these things are going to pass away. All of these things are going to pass away. And so Bartimaeus knew that. He throws away the cloak. He says, the master, the Messiah is calling me. You want to see God do a miracle in your life? There are some things holding you back that you just can't get rid of. I would encourage you today, identify those. You don't have to cry them out to anybody else. But that thing that you're thinking of, that thing that you keep coming back to, can't be defined by it anymore. You can't rely on that. It cannot be your foundation anymore. You've got to take a step of faith to throw away the cloak. And then I love this. As he gets to Jesus in verse 51, Jesus asks him this really odd question. It kind of, he just asked him. As he comes to Jesus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's just funny in my mind, if you think about this story, here's this blind man stumbling up to Jesus, has no cloak anymore. The crowd has been shouting him down. He's, he's kind of just coming to me. He finally makes it to Jesus. And Jesus is like, what do you want me to do? What, what, what are you asking for? Now, the flip side of that, you may think, is because he had so many things he needed that Jesus said, just pick one, you know, do what. But Jesus looks at him and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? The Bible says. It's funny that this blind guy who now is, has no money, no cloak, he's thrown away everything, stumbles up to Jesus and Jesus asks him. Because the Bible says that Jesus wants us to ask. And you may not have settled this. You may not understand it. You may not have grasped every corner of this thing. But the Bible is very clear that God wants us to ask. It's also clear he knows what we need before we even ask him. But he still wants us to ask. And so my question to you today would be then, are you asking? Are you just assuming that God knows? And this is a very important distinction today. I don't want you to just kind of gloss over this. Are you asking? You just assume God knows exactly what we need. He does. Bible says he knows even more than we know what we need, he knows. But he still requires us to ask, so we should ask. And nothing complicated about that. We need to ask. We can't just assume God knows. And he says, Jesus, watch this, Bartimaeus. He's not offended by this question. He's not, well, I'm going to go back and sit down because Jesus should have known why I stumbled up to him. I've been crying. All None of that, Bartimaeus, looked. He watch this. He says, what do you want me to do? Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, Jesus, I want to see. I want to see. And watch this. Jesus said, go, because your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Probably the best principle in this entire message. If you really want your life to be transformed, you really want to hear from God, you want a miracle to happen, you have to choose to follow Jesus. You have to choose to follow him. Every day, every part of your life. Because here's the reality. When God touches your life, it's not the end of the road. It's the beginning. 
When God answers your prayer, when there's a miracle that happens, it's not the end of a long journey. It's the beginning of the road. It's the beginning of a new journey. It's the beginning of a new start. It's not the end of it. When that miracle comes to pass that you've been praying for, it's not the end of your praying. It's not the end of your life. It's the beginning. It's a new season, a new opportunity. Listen to me. Bartimaeus had no options in life until Jesus came. The blind beggar on the side of the road, he had no options to him for the first time in his life now with God's anointing. First time in his life now with the power of the Holy Spirit touching him and his eyes being opened. First time in his life now, the world is open to him. He can go anywhere that he wants to go. He can do anything that he wants to do. Opportunities are now open to him. Anything he wants to do. And Jesus even tells him, go, your faith has made you well. Go, your prayers have been answered. Go, the miracle has happened. Go, your faith has made you well. My question for you today, he can go anywhere that he wants to go. My question today is, what will you do with the miracle? Because so oftentimes we like the first three steps of this, but then I'm asking you today, what would you do on the other side of the miracle? Because it reveals truly what's in your heart. And so many of us that have experienced God's miracles, experienced his touch, seen him move, Ask you today, what was your response on the other side? What was your response on the other side? And there's an old song about it. It says, do you want the healing or do you want the healer? And so I would ask you today, do you want the healing or do you want the healer? When you're seeking God for a miracle, when you're praying, when you're doing it, which one are you seeking after? Which one are you truly wanting? Because so oftentimes in our lives, we come to a place where I need this to happen. Or, or I need this healing to happen. I need this thing to change. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I need to do to move the pieces to make it happen. I'm going to seek God if I need to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in church if I need I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make this thing happen. Because I've got an end to go. But I want you to know on the other side of the miracle, are you seeking your kingdom or his? Are you trying to build up your plan, have your things accomplished or his? And what Bartimaeus proves to us, he wasn't just in it for his sight. He wasn't just in it for the miracle. Old Bart wasn't just in it for Jesus to move, and then that was all he needed. No, he really believed Jesus was the Messiah. He really believed that he was the Son of God, because he didn't just go his own way. It says he followed Jesus all the way down the road. Some of you are praying and believing that God would set you free from your past, that God would heal your physical body, God would, would touch your family, God would restore your kids, God would, would heal your marriage. For those of you who believe in those things, I believe that he can. But I would ask you, what are you going to do on the other side of that miracle? What's the reason for it? Are you going to use the opportunity and that anointing to advance your own cause or to advance his? Are you going to live your life based on the healing or the healing? Because God does have a great plan for your life. God is still a miracle working God. God can still move in these situations. He can still heal and touch. He can still restore. He can still set free. But I ask you on the other side of that, are you going to build his kingdom or your own? And heaven will tell the story of what Brian Bartimaeus' mission and ministry was. But I know it's spoken to my life. Heaven will tell the story of the ministry he had. So what's your story? I hope you know there's no accidents in the spirit. There's no accidents in the way. I believe that as Jesus was passing, Jesus went through Jericho countless times. And I believe that on this time that he chose this position, this place to go, he chose this road to walk down to see if Bartimaeus was going to seize that moment. Nothing he did was an accident. It says the people that he had to go through certain areas, he had to do certain. Jesus knew the people. He saw the crowds, but he saw the people. 
There's no accidents with God. And I want you to know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he's still orchestrating events and still moving and still drawing. And I believe with all of my heart that he has you here this morning. If you're in this room, you're watching online, that he has you here, he has you listening to this, that Jesus is moving and drawing. He's waiting to see if you're going to seize the moment. To see if you're going to respond to that, to see if you're going to cry out. No coincidence, listen to me, Bartimaeus, if he had not cried out that day, Bartimaeus would have died blind. He could have said, well, it's just enough. He could have let the crowd silence him. He could have let those Jesus just pass on by. But he said, I know who he is. I know the opportunity I have. I'm going to cry out to him with everything I've got. So my question for you today is, what are you crying out for? What are you crying out for? Because I believe that God orchestrates moments that you have this opportunity. Not because of anything that I say, not because of anybody else who's in the room, but because you have this opportunity that Jesus sees you, he knows you, he hears you. He cares about you. So I don't know what you may be crying out for. It may be a pain in your body. It may be a pain in a relationship. It may be a restoration of a marriage. It may be something that you're crying out to for your kids. I don't know what it is. This is your moment. This is your moment. And I promise you, even though you may have lost sight of Jesus, he has never lost sight of you. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I want you to know he would love for nothing more than to be close to you. That Jesus sees you. And right now in this room, right now, wherever it is you're watching from, right now he sees you, he knows you, he loves you. And maybe you're far from God because you've been marked by something in your past. Maybe you're far from God because you've been marked by something that you did or somewhere that you went or something that happened to you outside of your control. And maybe you were hurt and maybe you were driven and maybe whatever it was, maybe you were hurt and you went far away from God. I want you to know that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Not looking to get even with you. He wants to rescue you. So I don't know where in this series that may finally come home for you. I pray it's in this moment that he wants you. He loves you. And so like Bartimaeus, we have to seize the moment. Right now with every eye closed, every head bowed, just begin to cry out to him. Whatever it is, you can pray it quietly in your heart. But just begin to cry out to the Savior. Father, I pray right now, God, that you would begin to draw hearts, begin to move. Lord, begin to impress on them, God, show them the truth of your love. I want to talk to some of you. You're far from God today. Maybe you followed him for a little while. But somewhere along the way, you got caught up in the approval of the crowd. Somewhere along the way, you started to weigh the opinions of others over the opinions of God. You forgot about what God thinks about you. Let today be the day that you come home. Let today be the day that you decide, I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to silence the skeptics. I choose to silence the crowd. I choose to follow Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. If you're in either of those camps, you're far from God today. 
whether because you've never been close or whether because you fell away, whatever it is, I want to give you an opportunity today to decide. And I'm going to give you the words to a prayer, but you have to mean it. And let me just caution you, it's not an easy prayer to live. Maybe easy to say, it's not easy to live. This is a prayer of surrender that says, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. I believe that he is the Messiah like Bartimaeus crying out, Jesus, son of David, crying out, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you can do for me what you say you can do, that you can set me free. So I'm going to give you those words. It would be my honor to pray with you. The rest of the church, we're going to pray it out loud with you. You have to say them and you have to mean them, but nobody prays alone. Not looking to embarrass you, not looking to call you out. I just want to connect you with the Savior. So everybody today, say these words. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I repent. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for every single person here. God, I pray over every single person, Lord, in need of a miracle. God, we thank you that you are ever present. Help in time of need. That you never leave us and you never forsake us. God, I pray that as we cry out to you, that you do see us in the crowd. Lord, that you see us and you love us and you hear us. God, I pray and repent for times that we allow the crowd to silence our passion. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to silence those around us that try to kill out the prayer and the passion you placed on the inside of us. Lord, give us the boldness and the strength to cry out to you, to not care what people think, but to cry out all the louder. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing. And Lord, we pray right now, give us the strength to follow after you, to begin to be spiritually aware when you are moving, to be spiritually aware when you are speaking to us. God, we thank you for all that you're going to do in our life. And finally, Lord, give us the strength to choose to follow you in every situation. Lord, that we would want you, the healer, more than the healing. That we would want you, the master, God, more than the touch, more than the miracle, God. We want you with all of ourselves, God. I pray right now, give us the strength to follow you, to decide in every situation that our family, we're going to follow you. That in our marriage, we're going to follow you. That in our workplace, we're going to follow you. In our houses, God, in our schools, Lord, we're going to follow you. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. For all that you're doing, for the miracles that we're going to see. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together for what God is doing today?